This is 100 Eyes on Sports with Matt Zimmer and Brian Henschen, presented by Argus Leader Media. Each week, Zim and Hank will be talking sports, pop culture, and anything else happening now. Without further ado, here's Matt and Brian. Welcome to the show. Back for the first time in, what, like a month? It's been a while. We've been a little busy. Most, a mostly you. I'm always available to do a podcast, Brian. You're the one running around filming high school kids. So. Thank you for throwing me right under the bus and then backing <laughs> the bus over. And in my defense, now that... I was sticking up for you. You have been... I, didn't, I wasn't yeah. being facetious. You're a busy guy. Well, we survived the week of golf, tennis, soccer, and football. And now it's just... And softball. So five sports. Now we're just down to football and or volleyball. So Well, won't be long before... Everything else starts up. See, like for the college thing, it's already we're already in what we call overlap season. Practice yeah. started already, and uh, t- today actually was the uh, Summit League Media Day, which I missed. But uh, well, I, I talk to him all the time. I don't need yeah. to have a teleconference for me. But anyway, yeah, it's it never really slows down. So, do they open up practices for? Uh... SDSU basketball are they always open uh, it's hard to say like no one really wants to go watch basketball practice so it's yeah. not like I think that's really something they have to worry about you know football it's much more cloak and dagger for a lot of schools you know in most division one football practices are closed mm-hmm. SDSU is a rare exception um, but more often than not uh, you know, the first week of football practice, there were a few pe- people, fans, coming in to watch, especially on Saturdays when they'd have scrimmages. Mm-hmm. But once the season starts, I'm the only one who ever really goes to watch. And uh, with basketball, I remember uh, uh, when Nagy was still the coach, I went to a practice kind of unannounced <laughs> and just sat down in the bleachers at Frost Arena and watched. And, I had, you know, I'd only been covering the team for a short time, so I don't know if Scott recognized me from far away because he was on the other end. He didn't stop practice, you know, and say, who is that guy? Get him out of there. But he kept looking over, like, <laughs> who is that guy? Why is there someone just sitting there watching us practice? And finally I moved to, the like, another section in the arena closer to them so that he could see me and hopefully recognize, oh, it's just Zimmer or whatever. But he never did tell me to leave, but I didn't watch for that long anyway. And uh, then when TJ became the coach, uh, I came. I think I covered their first practice last year. And he had told me, yeah, sure, come on out. Uh, but then later he was like, hey, don't, don't shoot any video. I don't want any video. And I said, eh, that's fine. Yeah. Which is kind of funny because I, you know, I don't know what competitive advantages you're going to get from seeing video of, of, of basketball practice, but who knows. That's, yeah. you, well, they that's, need to know who they're going to give the ball to. Isn't it, uh, um, wasn't it Bobby Knight who always would say, you know, you can, I'll tell you what we're going to try to do. It's just about whether or not we're going to do it or not. So <laughs> who knows. Yeah. Um, neither of us really give a shit about soccer, but uh, <laughs> did you see what they did in Vegas for the Knights' home opener for their first game at uh, T-Mobile Arena or whatever it's called? No. It was, it was really cool. Uh, they did 58 seconds of silence for the victims of the shooting, and then they brought out the first responders. I think they paired them up with players. Who is this? Uh, the Vegas Golden Knights, that expansion team. Vegas has an NHL team now. Oh, I thought you were talking about soccer. Oh, no, 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 no. We breeze past. We address soccer. Okay. It's out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, yeah, you're all excited about hockey season, I know. Yeah, no, it, it was very cool, though. And then when they did the anthems, they had the two NHL, the two NHL teams, the Coyotes and the, and the uh, Knights, lined up on one side of the ice facing the first responders and everybody on the other side of the ice. And it was really a touching tribute and a very well done um well yeah ceremony I, for them. I forgot 
that uh, Vegas had a. I mean, I know now that you mentioned it again, I, but I've forgotten. Yeah, that's. I mean, obviously, there's tributes all over the place for that kind of thing, but being that's where it happened, mm-hmm. that is pretty cool. Yeah. Are so you excited? So you're pretty excited about hockey? I had to cover the Stampede Media <laughs> Day last week for the first time I've done anything Stampede related in about two or three years. Yeah, I was bummed I couldn't get to that, but that was. One I of those thought that'd weird. be a great opportunity I, for you. I would love to do it. You know, see some future stars, maybe. But no, that was an all-access day and yeah. golf and stuff. But. Well, they think they're going to be better this year. They didn't make the playoffs last year. Um, the, of course, the USHL expanded their playoffs again because basically I would assume the owners whined that, hey, why don't you just put all of us in the playoffs so we can all make more money, which is what that <laughs> the whole thing that league is about is just putting money in their owners' pockets. Mm-hmm. But. So the Stampede probably will make the playoffs this year because it's easier to do. They will be a better team too. So... Um, I you know, we don't cover their games really much anymore because we don't have the staff to do it. But I do like to go out to two or three games a year because it's, I mean, the Premier Center is awesome. Mm-hmm. And the quality of hockey is pretty good. It's not as good as college hockey and certainly not as good as the NHL. But people in Sioux Falls in South Dakota are so hockey illiterate that if you put junior hockey in an arena like that, they don't know the difference. They might as well be at a Red Wings game. I mean, yeah. that's – and I, there's exceptions. Obviously, the Stampede have a lot of diehards. But I think for the average – I think that's why their attendance is so great. Yeah. Because the average fan is just like, sure, I'll go watch a hockey game. And then they go see it in that environment. And they're like, holy cow, that's awesome. They're fun yeah. games. Right. And they do yeah. a good job with the game day experience. You know, the different things that they do with the fans. They have that larger gentleman who always takes off his shirt. He's <laughs> <laughs> at the games that I'm at. Yep. Aaron is his name. I know him. Aaron. Yeah. We do a feature on him. I think we should do a Feel free. No, <laughs> He's probably going to listen story. to this, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've been your original <laughs> listener. Yeah, yeah, F yeah, you guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, your Vikings, Sam Bradford. That poor guy. I mean, yeah, um, that was hard to watch. And I was on the radio with John and Craig the other day, and John and I watched the game together, and we were talking about it during the game, and then on the on the air the next day, it's like, what could they possibly have seen in practice, and then Monday Monday afternoon in pregame to go, yeah, you can go, you're, you're ready to go. Well, when the this guy gives us a better chance. I understand that, but I mean, Sam Bradford lit. I'm not saying this as a joke. He literally looked like a 70-year-old man trying to play football. I mean, if his first couple throws are way off target, so right away you're kind of like, well, this ain't right. Because if there's one thing Sam Bradford is good at, it, it, he's, he's accurate. Mm-hmm. So that's weird. And then they finally start moving the ball a little bit on like their third or fourth series. And he gets sacked twice down there where like no one even really hit him. Just the pocket collapsed, and he just basically went, you know, took the fetal position and just went down. <laughs> Which is fine. I get it. He's he's trying to protect himself. But mm-hmm. if you can't move, you can't play. Yeah. I mean, I understand quarterback, If especially if you're a pocket passer like Sam Bradford, they're not asking you to run around. But you've got to at least be able to. And then the safety, which you didn't know, that could have cost him the game. He's standing in the end zone for like 10 seconds. It's like, what are you doing? Like, you maybe expect that from a rookie quarterback, but a, a veteran like him who's supposed to kind of know what he's doing – to just stand there in the end zone forever, it's just it became apparent right away that he was just had no business being in there. It took him out, won the game. Okay, I mean the Bears are terrible. That's why they won. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but geez, now it's like so. So now is he out for another month? Is, was there a setback? Because they said he re-aggravated it, but then he was saying later like ah, I'm fine. There's no structural damage. I don't know. Teddy Bridgewater is going to be ready to come back pretty soon. But what are you going to get from him? He hasn't yeah. played in two years. 
So, again, it can't be worse than Case Keenum. Like, well, reading your tweets, reading Gaskin's tweets, and all these other Viking fan tweets, it's like reliving specific <laughs> Rams seasons. But I, but I don't – Case Keenum is who he is. Yeah. I mean, you knew when you got him that he's kind of – he's actually a decent backup. Yeah, he's like, a serviceable backup. He's, but he's exactly what a backup gives you. Sometimes he'll be pretty good. Most of the time he won't. Mm-hmm. If you have a really good team around him, he might give you a chance to win. And that's what he did against Bear. He had that great game against uh, Tampa Bay. Mm-hmm. But come on. He's not going to do that every week. That's why he's Case Keenum. Yeah. So it's a weird situation in that who knows what's going to happen with Bradford. Who knows what's going to happen with Bridgewater. They're both free agents after this year, too. So now do you start entertaining drafting a quarterback? Or... Draft I mean, a quarterback, re-sign Bridgewater, right? Maybe. Or 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 Bradford. I you know I don't know. I mean Bradford at this point it looks like his career's in jeopardy. Mm-hmm. I mean he's still a young guy. What's he twenty eight? Yeah. You know, it's I surprising mean, that he's still playing now. I mean just the stuff that he went through in St. Louis. Where yeah, he I mean like he clearly can still play uh-huh. if he's healthy, but it looks like he's just never gonna be. I mean I even heard some rumors in in the preseason that Bradford had been telling Vikings teammates before the season, dudes. My knee is not in good shape. And that that's why he didn't play at all in the preseason. Because I don't really watch a lot of preseason football because mm-hmm. it's unwatchable. Yeah. But the few times I did, I was like, boy, A, Bradford's barely playing. And B, when he's in there, he really wasn't doing anything except just handing off and, and check downs, which was what we saw yeah, last year. check downs. Exactly. And so I had no optimism going into the first game. I was like, this doesn't look good at all. Well, then he comes out and he's Joe Montana in that first game of the year. And you're like, all right, they were just saving it for the regular season. Well, I mean, if he, you know, I, I feel bad for him. It's, it's not like it, I think it's his fault or anything. But if you can't play, you can't play, mm-hmm. you know. And I don't know if he can play. Yeah. Um, something that just came across, John Farrell got fired by the Red Sox. I saw that. It's interesting. That's kind of surprising, but they did get swept in the playoffs. And, you know, Red Sox have, they're one of those, kind of like the Yankees where it's, win now and win big or we find someone else. I mean, that's a different thing. You think the Yankees will get rid of uh, Joe Girardi? I don't think so. I hope not. I I think he's a really good manager. Mm -hmm. Um, That that wild card game against the Twins, uh, they won that game because he made a ballsy managerial decision in the first inning, took his ace starter out four batters into the game, said, screw this, I got to win. Yankees would have lost that game if he hadn't done that. So, I mean, that's just one move. And obviously he made one really stupid move in in game two against the Indians when he didn't uh, uh, call for the review on that play, and and then, you know, they blew a big lead. Uh, But, you know, managers make mistakes. Uh, Sometimes they make really, really bad mistakes. I always feel like, you know, the in-game decisions, whether it's, you know, bunt or not bunt, take him out, leave him in, you know, you or I can do that just as well as those guys, and and we'll have just as much a success rate as he will. Sometimes we'll be right, sometimes we'll be wrong. Yeah. What makes a good manager are the guys who, you know, kind of keep the ship afloat. For I mean, it's a 180 day season. That's a long time for 25 guys to be around each other every day. And um, you know, that's I thought Ron Gardenhire was kind of an idiot when it came to decisions. But he was a good manager because he knew how to manage a clubhouse, how to get guys to get along, how to make them feel excited about coming to the ballpark, all those kinds of things. And I think to switch gears a little bit to the Twins, uh, that's why Paul Molitor's back. Um, I think it's pretty obvious the new Twins, the fr- Twins' new front office wanted to get rid of him. Mm-hmm. You know, when when the, uh, Terry Ryan was fired as GM, Jim Polad, the owner, posts the job, but then tells all the GM candidates, "You can't fire Molitor. You got to keep him." 
And I kind of thought, well, that's stupid. I mean, I, I didn't think Mahler should be fired, but you can't bring somebody in and then tie their hand behind their back. Right. Right. You got to let them do what they want to do. But they said, okay. And I think everyone thought, you know, they lost 100 games last year. This year they'll be, okay, they'll be a little bit better. They'll go like 75 and 87, and you just quietly – you wouldn't even have to fire Mahler because he's in the last year of his contract. Uh-huh. You just say, thanks for the three years. We're going with our own guy. Everyone walks away, you know, no hard feelings. Well, then the front office bails on him at the trade deadline, says, yeah, we don't think he can win, trades away two of their more important pitchers, and he says, screw you guys, we're going to go to the playoffs anyway, and that's exactly what they did. Mm-hmm. He's probably going to win manager of the year. I think he, he deserves should. it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, I think it became apparent to the Twins front office that, like, well, we, we can't get rid of this guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I do think he, he Molitor embodies all those qualities I was just talking about as far as you know, getting a, a, a group of guys to, to work together. Um, but I think the, the real reason that he'll be back is, unlike Ron Gardenhire before him, he's at least open-minded to some of the other things, the statistical analysis, uh, shifting, uh, vi- video, uh, you know, all, all these things that Gardy was kind of like, eh, I'm old school, I don't really want to get into that kind of stuff. Yeah. Mahler, I don't think, has a lot more of a, a history with that necessarily, but he is like, hey, I'm willing to listen. You know, yeah. we've been losing. Let's try something else. Uh, I interviewed Molitor last year before this, or this year before the season. For one thing, he was really pessimistic. I, I couldn't believe how he did not at all seem like he thought he had a playoff team <laughs> on his hands. And here they are. They yeah. they ended up making the playoffs. But he did say that he really liked the new GMs and that he's like, hey, I, it's really uh, kind of refreshing, breath of fresh air, some new guys, some new ideas. So I think it was. A, the fact that he won a lot of games, got a team to the playoffs that wasn't supposed to, and B, the fact that he, at, very, at the very least, showed those guys, like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to listen. I'm willing to try new things. Let's, mm-hmm. Yeah, let, we're in this together sort of thing, whereas a lot of times managers and GMs can kind of be butting heads a little bit. I, I think Molitor is much more, you know, let's all put our heads together and see what we can do, and that's why he got a three-year extension. That was a fun group to watch, too. I was hoping, I was really hoping that they'd pull it off against the Yankees. There's nothing else for you and a couple of the other people around the office. Yeah, and you know, I, I said a couple times, and I wrote it a couple times, I really thought they were going to win just because of the one game. You know, in a series, I would not have given them any chance. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they had just got swept in Yankee Stadium like two weeks earlier. Um, it, it, it just kind of felt like the stars were aligning for that to happen. Then they score three runs in the first inning, hit two homers. <laughs> I mean, that was the highlight of the year right there. And then, uh, I mean, not to pick on the guy too much because he had a great year, but Irvin Santana, Jesus. I mean, first first two months of the season, he was the Cy Young favorite. He came back down to earth, which everyone knew he would, but he still had a very good season, 16-8. and eight, And... To give him a spot him a three run lead before he even has to take the mound, and then for him to give it right back in the first day, especially walking the leadoff man yeah. with a three nothing lead. <sighs> Come on, man, three nothing lead. You're going out there throwing eighty seven mile hour fastballs right down the middle until they get somebody on base. Yeah. You do not walk anybody. Uh, mm-hmm. Just again, I, I can't be mad at him or the team because they all overachieved. We were, you know, it was a playing with house money kind of deal. Uh, but that was really disappointing to see them, you know, basically throw a knockout punch in the first inning and and stagger the Yankees and, yeah. and see Santana give it right back. So great. I guess you should talk a little local stuff probably. Well, um, since, you know, like you said, I think it's been uh, a month since we did this. And yeah. at that time, football season was still early in the non-conference portion of it. 
and uh, now we've, we're two weeks into Missouri Valley Conference play, and um, all of a sudden USD is the best team in the state. Shockingly, like good. I mean, yeah, I think I think you can say that. that. I mean, I, I I'm not surprised that they're good. Mm-hmm. If you'd have told me before the season USD is going to make the playoffs, I'd have said, all right, I can see them going seven and four. Um, but they're going to be a lot better than seven and four. You yeah. know, I mean, you look at their schedule right now. They have a really, really good chance to be nine and zero going into the last two weeks of the season. They they close with NDSU, SDSU back to back. Bison on the road in Fargo, Jacks at the at the Dakota Dome. Now, you know, will they stub their toe and maybe drop one in there? Sure, they certainly could. Um, but again, you know, they've got Northern Iowa and Illinois State, who are both good teams. But teams the Coyotes should beat based on where they're at now. I will not be at all surprised if they're nine and zero. And this is a USD team where, unlike last year, if maybe a couple of those close wins would or close losses would have swung to wins, you'd be like, yeah, well they almost blew it. Well this year it's like they're winning and they're putting their foot down on right. the team's throats and yeah. they're finishing them off. That Youngstown game, I got back in time to watch most of it. I mean that was an impressive show that they put on. Well, there. it came one week after Youngstown just completely obliterated the Jacks. Mm-hmm. I know the score of that game was nineteen to seven, but it could have been thirty five seven. Youngstown had it inside the three-yard line and didn't score like three times. Yeah. Uh, they totally dominated that game, and everybody knows that. Um, now, may, you know, I don't want to be too hard on the Jacks because, you know, they obviously feel like that game was where they just laid an egg. It was not representative of who they are, and I'm sure there's a lot of truth to that. Um, but the bottom line is that they, they got spanked. And going into this season, that was supposed to be the thing, is this year they're too good for something like that to happen. They've made the playoffs five years in a row. Uh, but every one of those five years, there was usually a game somewhere in there where they just kind of shit the bed, you know, just didn't show up or whatever it was. And you kind of thought, okay, this year they're so loaded, particularly on offense, that that'll never happen. Uh, even if their defense gets uh, run over, they, they can get into a shootout, you know, and, and still be in the game. And, you know, it's it's hard to, to blame the offense too much for that Youngstown game because they were never on the field. They They ran literally like... 11 snaps in the second half, something like that. I mean, it was insane. But, you know, they gave up a safety when they had the ball in their own one-yard line. That's the offense's fault. Uh, they turned it over inside the 10-yard line on their very first drive. That's their fault. Uh, so, you know, we kind of went back and forth in the week after that. The coaches were a little bit, and understandably, that you're always going to be defensive. I thought they were a little too defensive about that, but it doesn't matter. They got killed, and then they bounced back exactly how you'd want to. They, they smoked Southern Illinois. And I don't think Southern Illinois stinks. I mean, they, they're not going to be in the playoffs this year, but it's not like the Jacks just beat up on a Patsy. They're a pretty decent team. Mm-hmm. So that's a good win, um, but they're playing catch-up now. You know, like I said, USD, they could very easily lose to Northern Iowa or Illinois State or, or whoever. They're not going to lose to Indiana State this week. Um, but there's a good chance they'll be 9-0 and going into those last two weeks. And the Jacks, before that time have to play uh well they got northern iowa this week a game again they should win but it's not a gimme uh they've got um illinois state at home and then well and they've got uh north dakota state at home in what november 4th i think it is so i mean geez they could have two or three losses by the time they they play uh the coyotes at the end there so um the one kind of interesting thing is uh what if usd ends up winning the conference what if usd beats NDSU. What if they run the table? Go 11-0. and uh, Well, they're going to be the top seed, number one team in the in the country. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think I think the league is too good for anybody to run the table. The point I'm making, whether the Cowboys go 11-0, and 10-1, and 9-2, um, maybe the Jack for years the Jacks are always talking about we don't want to have to go to Fargo in the playoffs. Well, maybe they'll have to go to Vermillion instead, which 
wouldn't necessarily be ideal based on how good the Coyotes appear to be this year, but I guarantee you they would rather go to Vermillion ten times in a row yeah. than go to Fargo once. So Maybe that could work out in their favor. Maybe a playoff game would uh, ignite the student section at USD and make them a little more lively. Well, that, I mean, that's the same thing the Jacks this past week uh, at home against Southern Illinois. There was almost no student presence in that one either. So, You think that was just hangover from the Youngstown game? And, and they had a three-day weekend, I know, so a lot of kids yeah. might have gone. And, and uh, it was homecoming USD D-Days, and I know a lot of students go down there to party even though they're – you know, players and coaches get all pissy about that, but guess what? College students like to drink, so you know, yeah. I don't know. I the attendance thing comes up so much, and I always kind of you know, you're never going to be North Dakota State where you got a waiting list for twenty thousand season tickets because you're in a small town, and and the Bison are in a big town, so mm-hmm. it's just it's apples to oranges comparison. Jack still finished in the top ten, top five in attendance every year. USD is a little bit further behind, but they started later too. You know, the, this this has been a process for the Jacks in trying to build up their attendance. So I think you have to be fair to the Coyotes and say it'll be the same thing for them. They sold out the Youngstown State game. Mm-hmm. Now I don't know what's that like eleven thousand, twelve. I don't know what the dome holds. Yeah. Uh, Dyke House holds nineteen thousand, so that's a little different. But you know, it it goes. We've even talked about this goes to. You know, when, when we're trying to plan coverage for the Argus Leader Sports section, there isn't one team in South Dakota that everyone is behind. Mm-hmm. There's factions. Everyone's got their own sort of team or sport or even their level of sport. Some people like the minor leagues, the high schools, college. some people only follow major league sports. So there's never going to be this, whether it's USD, SDSU, there's never going to be that one team or that one school that sells out all their games no matter what they do. That's just never going to happen. Yeah, it is a very interesting market in that respect in terms of just how fragmented it is. I know we've talked about that a little bit. It makes it hard on a sports section. Yeah, Yeah, it does. It really does. And contrary to popular belief, we don't favor anybody over another except, you know, Oh, I'm a pretty, pretty big O'Gorman tennis fan, so... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say actually. I'm glad you took that one. I was gonna say except for high school sports, that should take precedence over everything, obviously. But um, Augie USF, um, tough, tough loss for USF, and then you have Max Mickey going out, which I'm sure is. I mean, totally yeah, I, a different operation. For I stopped them by now. practice last night to talk to John Anderson. The good news is, sounds like Max isn't gonna be out forever. What happened? I think he broke his leg, like a hairline fracture or something, oh. maybe, maybe foot. I didn't ask specifically. I heard all sorts of rumors in the last couple of days leading up to the game, uh, and I decided to do John a favor and <laughs> not, <laughs> not post that I had heard it. Um, but, I mean, he was in line to potentially win another rushing title and probably be a Harlan Hill candidate, and so that's probably out the window now. That sucks for him, and it's going to be tough for USF now. Good news is... You know, Winona State might have beat him even if they had Max Mickey. They pushed him around. Uh, but now they should win the rest of their games until the, the, the season finale. they got to go to Mankato. That'll be a tough one whether they have Max or not. Looks like they will have Max by then. But even if they lose that, they should still go 9-2, and two, which potentially would get them in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. Um, they, they didn't play well defensively in that game, which all year they've been dominant on defense, so that's a little bit of a concern. And Wayne State's pretty decent this year. they got to go there tomorrow night for a Thursday night game. It's the Midco game of the week, so people can watch that one on TV if they want to. They don't want to make the two-hour drive to Wayne, America. But, um, yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how they bounce back. And then Augie, you know, Ryan Rubley hasn't been playing, so they're still playing that true freshman quarterback, Kyle Sadler. And they've been taking some lumps now. They're 2-4. and four. Um, I think they got Southwest State this week at home. 
should be able to win that game, but you know, they should have been able to beat Wayne State. They should have, you know, a couple of these games. So mm-hmm. the playoffs, uh, Mineral Water Bowl, all that's probably out the window for Augie. Their season's going to end after the eleventh game. I would think at this point, with a two and four record, their goal is just to try to finish with a winning season, and yeah. that would mean they could only lose one more, and they got to play USF. Yeah. And uh, and I think they still got to play Winona too, so it's it's going to be challenging for yeah, them. Yeah, and a very fun slate to close it out. Yeah, again. yeah, and you covered some high school stuff too. You just yeah. every you're like the Swiss Army knife. Yeah, yeah. Well, especially when you mix out of town and you're out of town or doing whatever you're doing. I just sit around and do all the work while you guys go have fun. Oh, stop bitching. You get the 5 p.m. <laughs> start. So I love how you're like, this is great to watch. Like, it isn't fair that you get Roosevelt and Central, two teams that love to run the ball, get them playing at 5. And the week before, I get like Roosevelt and O'Gorman when they decide to chuck it around at yeah, 7. That was Well, Stu forgot to tell me I was supposed to cover the game. So like 4 <laughs> o'clock on Friday, I was actually... Sitting on the john when I got a t- text text from Klinsky saying, "Hey, go cover the Roosevelt game, right?" I'm like, "No," and uh, but then I was like, "Well, I got nothing better to do," so I went out and covered the game. And like you said, five o'clock start, perfect. Got out of there mm-hmm. about seven thirty. Nice and easy, nice and early. Yeah. So, what's the uh, who's the all access this week? Harrisburg and Mitchell. We got a tough one to top though, because that Madison T one was great. Like the the story beforehand was great with the Giles triplets. And then the kids at T4 of whom play football and soccer, they went out and won a state championship in Aberdeen on Saturday. So they drove up from T2 Aberdeen, back down to Madison for the game, back up to Aberdeen to get ready for Saturday. Wow. So that sucked. Um, and he told me a story that before when they first started that they actually they had a game in at Dakota Valley or something, a football game, but the soccer team was playing the same night in Rapid City. So a, one of the kids' dads was a pilot. And he flew them from Rapid City no down to Dakota Valley. Kids are throwing on their pads on the sideline, and he threw them in the game. Huh. And they had to because there was like seven dudes at the time. Yeah. Um, so that was a lot of fun. And the trash talking during that game was phenomenal. <laughs> I mean, as soon as really? T fell behind a, uh, by a few scores, and it was pretty clear that Madison was just going to take him to the woodshed, uh, T started running their mouths a little bit, both to themselves and to Madison. And Madison started giving it back to him a little bit. What was his final score of the game? 42 to nothing. Wow, T's pretty good, too. Yeah. Uh, Madison, it was like their first real, real test of the year. And, I mean, they, when that team, when those Yankee boys and company and Giles, a quarterback, want to ratchet it up, man, they ratchet yeah, it up. Yeah, Giles is pretty good. I mean, his, his brother's really good at Dakota State. He throws for about 500 yards a game up there. Uh, and, and right in Madison, too. So, I mean, yeah. that, that's a, a pretty cool story right there. But. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, uh, I got Friday night off this week, amazingly enough. Oh, so. bless. Yeah. Is it Mick covering? Mick's covering O'Gorman. Yeah. And the Jacks play at 2 on Saturday. The night games yeah, are no over. Yeah, more night games. I'm so happy about that. Are, is that the end of the night games for everybody? No, not necessarily. Um, but but kind of. It seems to be that the colleges have sort of adopted this idea that early in the season you want to play night games because the weather's nice, so people are more likely to come to games like, if you have it at 2 o'clock, people are like, oh, I'm too busy doing fun stuff or whatever. Or it's, or it's hot. Yeah. I don't know. And then late in the season when it gets cold, you want to play day games because people don't want to go to a 7 o'clock game when it's cold outside. I, I'm not dismissing that there isn't some validity to that, um, but I'm kind of a traditionalist. I feel like college football is a, you know, Saturday afternoon, crisp autumn air with the leaves blowing around, and you, you get up at 9 o'clock to tailgate rather than 1 o'clock in the afternoon, and... Um, and I know the players prefer the day games, yeah. uh, especially, you know, it's not so bad when you're the home team, even though it still is. If you're the home team for a night game, well, then you need to spend all day Saturday just sitting around waiting for the game. 
So you're sitting there. You can't really do anything. You don't want to get tired. You know. So the pl- you're just picking your nose for six hours waiting for the game to start. Um, but if you're the road team, you might be a little busier getting ready for the game so it doesn't feel as boring. Mm-hmm. But then you're not getting home till 3 o'clock in the morning that night. Yeah. And for the Jacks, you know, they don't have an airport in Brookings. They so fly down here? Yeah. So when our plane lands in Sioux Falls at 2.30, they've still got another hour and a half to, yeah. to load the bus, get on the bus, drive to Brookings, get off the bus, get in their cars or wherever, and drive to their dorms or their apartments or anything. I mean, there's probably a lot of Sunday nights or Saturday nights slash Sunday mornings where they're not in bed till 5 o'clock. Oh. That sucks. Nobody yeah. likes doing that. I don't like doing it, and I don't have to, you know, Drive I'm home when, when, the, yeah. when the plane lands in Sioux Falls, and it's just like, you know, I, I realize I'm, I'm whining here, but I mean, it's just, when they, when they play those 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock games, we're back in South Dakota by 8, 9 o'clock, mm-hmm. as opposed to 2.30 in the morning, and I know, I, I know which one of those I prefer, <laughs> yeah. and I think most of the players and coaches feel the same yeah, way. It's easier on deadlines than that, too. It's a lot, that, it's a lot too. Stressful that, too. That's another office. thing. Yeah. Rather than uh, I've, a couple times I've been writing, writing my stories and trying to quit get a signal and send it from the plane before we get up in the air, <laughs> and I lose my internet signal. So, yeah, that's another thing. Oh, my gosh. So, Jackrabbits this weekend. Zim will be on that. I'll be at Harrisburg Mitchell. Mick will be at the O'Gorman game before heading out to the USD game. And um, I don't know. It might be a month. It might be a week. It might be – maybe we'll do another one on Friday just for shits and giggles. Who knows? Uh, but we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you for listening.